today we're going to be uh, talking about the top 10. We're starting a brand new series called Top 10. And, and as we get into this, speaking of mothers, how many of you mothers have a to-do list? Any of you? Well, just let me just see how many to-do list people we are in general. How many of you guys are to-do list people? I mean, loud and proud. I mean, just hold it up if you are to-do list. How many of you guys, maybe you're like me, and if you do something that wasn't on your to-do list, you then put it on your to-do list so you can check it off. How many of you guys just own that one? Anybody ever done that? Why? Because if I did it and it didn't make the list, it should have counted, right? And that's, I'm going to make sure it counts. And so I just wanted to know who my people were there because I'm kind of that way and it's weird and I know that. Um, but we're going to be talking about ancient Israel. You know, God's people were, giving, were given a to-do list and on their to-do list, they had some 613 items on their to-do list that we know of as the Old Testament law. 613. So you think your to-do list is long, and maybe you have a long to-do list, but they had 613. And as a part of the 613, there were the top 10. Remember, they had been taken out of Egypt. God led them out. Red Sea parts. Moses goes out. They go to the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain, gets the top 10, brings them back down. Have you guys remember that? Maybe you saw the movie a long time ago. Uh, that's kind of uh, where we are at right now. And they, they had the top 10, but they also had all these others. And many people misunderstand the purpose of all of these laws. And so they will go back into the Old Testament and they'll pull something out and they'll say, well, what, what's this all about? And we have to understand that a lot of these laws were for various reasons. Some of them were civic laws, like what do you do if this happens? Some of them were moral laws and just how to conduct yourself. Some of them were laws just for the sole purpose of setting apart the people of Israel from every other nation so they would just look different and set apart as God's people. And so as a part of all this, they had all of these things and it became very hard for them to keep all of these laws. And that was some of the purpose of it was to reveal that you can't just follow a checklist of things, but how many of you guys know that we need Jesus, right? And that was part of the, the law's mission was to tell us and to point to Jesus and his coming and his righteous gift to us of his right standing with God on our behalf. But it was hard for them to follow all these 613 laws. And there was this guy in 2005 named A.J. Jacobs. I've shared this before, but he decided that he was going to set out to try to fulfill and live by all 613 in the first five books of the Torah to live by all of them for one year. And he lived in New York, and he thought, this is going to be difficult, but I, I, I'm going to try, and I'm going to do it my best, and you wear certain things, not shave your beard, and, you know, do all these things. And so he has a, a picture of a before and after, and we can see the before, and we can see the after, the one year later. He kind of looks like a crazy man with the crazy eye look, and so he did this for a year. Now, I can't complain too much because this next picture um, go ahead and put that up. I, I kind of have some of those before and afters. So I don't. And uh, yeah, don't look too closely in there. So um, take the picture down or we're going to get distracted. Okay. <laughs> so he went out and he said, he said there were, you know, there was the normal laws that we know we commit every day that are hard to follow, like no uh, lying, no gossiping, no coveting. And he said, I'm a journalist in New York. That's 70% of my job. And so that was hard not to do those things. 
But he said it was harder to try to fulfill those things that you would get into a lot of trouble in today's society if you followed, like stoning an adulterer. And so he was like, how do I follow these things? And so he was uh, in the park one day and he was dressed up in his Old Testament garb because he had to wear certain types of clothing. And this guy came up to him and asked him what he was doing. And he was kind of real belligerent with him and and. He said, well, I'm just doing this project and trying to see if I could, you know, do all this stuff. And the guy said, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And so fortunately, he was prepared for this because he had several pebbles in his pocket. That he, Because the Bible doesn't specify how big the stones had to be. And so he pulled them out of his pocket. And the guy took them and threw them in his face. And so he thought that was enough to retaliate. So he started to throw these pebbles at him. So he got to stone a guy. And, and that was uh, exciting for him, I guess. And... Uh, but it was hard to follow all of them. And he came to the conclusion at the very end of it, he said, I learned that it is impossible to follow all of these 613 laws in Scripture. It's impossible to do. And in fact, that's what the Israelites found out. You know, they found out it really was impossible for them to keep because they would try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. And you, you can't keep the law as a checklist. You, you just can't do it. And Jesus came so that we would know that he was the fulfillment or came to fulfill the law, to bring to fulfillment of that. So the law is simply saying this, I have to pay for my sins or I have to find a way or I have to bring a sacrifice for my sins. But grace says that Jesus paid for my sins. How many of you guys are thankful for grace, right? But in this, you know, Jesus gives us this gift of his righteousness, and with the gift of his right standing before God by dying on the cross, raising from the dead, taking our place, so that when God looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of Jesus, we also receive a new heart so that we begin to fulfill things through the heart that God gives us that we could never do on a heart of our own. We could never do as a checklist. And so Jesus summed up all of this one day in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. It says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus sums up all of the law into this statement. Love God, love others. What Jesus does here is he doesn't tell us the what. He doesn't list off all of these laws, but he tells us the why or the purpose of what the law was trying to do, one of the purposes. And I love the way Robert Morris puts it as he said this. He says that the law was ultimately trying to point us in one way or the other, trying to point us into a deeper need and relationship with God. And so he's trying to point us into a relationship with God, and that's what Jesus does here, so that we would be able to have a relationship with God and not just a set of rules before God. Now, how many of you guys believe that we ought to, I mean, that, how many of you guys, let me just ask it this way. How many of you guys believe that the Ten Commandments are an important thing? How many of you guys believe that? Okay. Uh, how many of you guys have got upset at times, and you don't have to raise your hand at this, but it'd be fun if you did. How many of you guys have got upset at times, like when you heard something about like the Ten Commandments being removed from a courthouse of a local courthouse or something? Okay. How many of you guys, some of you guys have done that? Okay. We got upset about that. So we believe they're important, and they really are 
you know, there's one way to look at it as a checklist, but there's another way, as we will see as we get into the series and the way we're going to look at this, is there are things about these Ten Commandments that are invitations for us to be in a deeper relationship with God. But all of us pretty much believe they're important. Some of us get upset when they're removed. Okay, so I'm going to need a volunteer. Who wants to be the one that comes up here right now and lists off all Ten Commandments? Do I have any volunteers? In order, any, anybody, anybody. Now, isn't that amazing? Here we are in church, right? All of us here believe that they are important. Uh, some of us get really upset when they're gone, and yet there's not one volunteer. There wasn't a volunteer last night. I don't know if there was an auditorium too, but not one person would get up and say what they are. And so maybe it's something we could look at together, you know. Uh, I'll be with you. I couldn't get them in order. I had them, but I couldn't get them in order. So I'll I'll at least uh, go there. But so for those of you guys who are making your list right now, some of us are making our list. Okay, what are the Ten Commandments? Uh, I'm going to give them to you and show them to you. And let's see how well you did. Let's, okay, just go ahead. We're going to take a little test. I'm going to show them to you. Just see how well you did. Take a look. dramatic I get I understand but how many of you guys were over 50 percent does anybody make it over 50 percent on your list okay some of you guys made it all right good that's good all right so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first one today and it's found in Exodus chapter 20 there's also a list in Deuteronomy chapter 5 I believe but Exodus chapter 20 it says this it says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. That's the first one. No other gods. Now, this section that we're getting ready to go into here, I want to preface by saying this. There is going to be a lot of things that I say that is probably going to be hard for some of us to hear. Some of these are going to be very convicting things. And I, I want to set, off, you know, set out from the very beginning, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay, condemnation is from the enemy, and it wants you to get you to look in the past. It wants to get you to look beyond or behind at things you cannot change. But conviction is the Holy Spirit coming beside us and pointing us to the future and giving us some things that we can change in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so my prayer is that every single one of us feels some conviction of the Holy Spirit during this time because conviction is good. Conviction moves us forward. 
And so the question, I'm going to give you three questions today. And the first one is this, what are false gods? And, and I could list off a whole bunch of, you know, things from different cultures and bring up a whole bunch of slideshows and pictures of all these deities that are worshipped. But I don't know if that would be helpful for us because what we really want to know is what are our false gods? Because it's easy for us here to have false gods but not call them false gods. And so to me, a false god is anything or anyone, wherever, whatever we look to as our savior. Whatever we run to in a time of need. Whatever we run to for help. Whatever we believe is going to save us in a time of need. Another way to look at this is whatever is above God, competing with God, before God, besides God. And it's really not even about a ranking system with God and where does God rank but God should be our everything, as we said earlier at the end of worship, that God is not just in competition with other things, but that God should capture all of our attention, and from that point, everything else flows out of that. And so a false God is anytime we have God plus, or more likely for us in our society, it's plus God, because we, most of us tend to have our life plus God. That's a false God. Whenever you elevate, you can elevate your family, you can elevate a, a, a marriage, you can elevate a ministry, you can elevate your kids, you can ele elevate anything that is in competition with attention that belongs to God and worship that belongs to God. That's a false God. And so right out of the gate, we need to acknowledge that, that even today, even in our society, maybe even us as believers that we can still stray away and we can still have this competition for false gods in our heart in different seasons of our life. And it doesn't mean we've walked away from the faith or anything like that. It just means that, that we need to have a heart correction, that there's an invitation for us to be drawn closer back to the heart of God. And one of the ways we know that that's happening in our life is by asking this next question. And the next question is this, what am I fueling in my life? What am I giving fuel to? There's a very interesting story in Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the book of Judges. I mean, we have the story of Gideon. We have, basically, it's the rise and fall of, you know, uh, people of God doing well, you know, not doing well, which is kind of the whole Old Testament. Um, but Samson has just died. And then we come to this interesting story in Judges chapter 17. Let's look at this. It says in verse 1, There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, you know the, those 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and spoke it in my ears? Behold, the silver's with me, I took it. So here's what's happening. And mom's one day, she saved up this money, got 1,100 pieces of silver. One day she notices it's gone, utters some sort of curse in the earshot of her son. Turns out the son took the money. The son took the silver. Son gets, you know, feels bad about it. He comes back to mom, he's like, mom, I took the money. Here's the money back. That's, that's what's going on. And so his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord, my, to the, to the Lord from the hand of my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now we're going to talk about graven images next week. But this, she begins to make this idol and it says, now, therefore, I will restore it to you. This is a bad example of a mother, just on Mother's Day, just letting you know, okay? It just kind of happened to go here, okay? This is what not to do. 
And it says, so when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmiths who then made it into a carved image and a metal image and it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine. So he's a full grown man. He creates this shrine out of this image that his mom made for him out of the money he stole from her. And he made this, this sounds like some episode on daytime television or something, I don't know. And he made an ephod, so now he makes this religious clothing to begin to form his own religion out of this thing. And he makes this ephod and household gods and ordains one of his sons who becomes his priest. And in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Several things wrong with this story. Number one, the mom, when she discovers her son's sin, she overlooks his sin. They, they should have had a moment there of repentance, not just giving back the money, but what's going on in our heart, you know? They should have, but she overlooks it, in fact, blesses it in a sense. Then she takes the very thing that her son was lusting after, which was the 1,100 pieces of silver, and makes the thing that he really wanted and lusted after and turns it into a false god for him to worship. Turns it and creates this and sends him down, rewards his wrong path, then his son, her son creates, creates his own version of worship, his own idol, his own religion, in a sense, separate from everything else. So I could sum it up this way. Micah's mom financed and facilitated his idol. Micah's mom financed and facilitated. This is what she fueled in him. She financed and facilitated Micah's idol. Now, let me just step into the weeds and step on some toes for just a moment, if I can have your permission, which I'm not going to receive. I'll just do it anyway, but I, because this is good for us to hear from time to time. Many times, even as followers of Jesus, we have gone from Christ-centric homes to kid-centric homes. Listen, I realize my number one job or discipleship job is with the kids that God put in my house, okay? I, I get that. I, in fact, I take it very seriously. That's my number one discipleship mission is the people that God put close to me. But we've sometimes be gone from Christ-centric homes where, where everything is about Jesus to where everything is about the kids. And, and it used to be where the kids were not visible you know, in society, they were kind of off to the side. Now they're kind of taking the front seat. And where they were last, now they were first. Where they were silent, now they are the loudest. Where they were ignored, now they're obeyed. Now they're obeyed. And, and so, again, I'm not trying to bring condemnation. Please hear me. But what I do want to do is to bring to us a little bit of conviction, you know, that, that what happens then is we begin to look around and see what, what everyone else is doing in culture, in society, and even in our friends' lives, and we, we feel guilty as parents if we don't give our kids everything that everyone else has, if we don't put them in everything that everyone else is putting them in, if we don't finance and facilitate everything that they want to be in, be a part of, do, have, whatever. My, my daughter, my youngest daughter came to me the other day and she was like, well, why can't I have this, dad? And why can't I? I said, well, because we don't feel like that's what you should have right now. Well, but all of my friends, have you ever heard that one? But all of my friends. I said, well, I'm not responsible for all of your friends. God put me in charge of this family. And I got with Jesus and that's what I heard. 
And so what happens is we end up financing and facilitating our kids' idols. And then we've got 27 activities, we're running around. We wouldn't be able to hear from Jesus if he came down with thunder and lightning because we're so busy. Corey Ten Boom said, said it this way, this famous statement. She says, if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And you guys know that's, that's been more true than when we want to admit sometimes, right? And so false idols are exposed by the things that you are financing and facilitating, by the things you're fueling in your kids' lives, in your family, in your marriage, in your heart, they're exposed by what you are fueling in your life. And so what are you financing and facilitating in your life, in your family? You know, what are the false gods? Some of them can be just comfort. We may just fuel comfort. Some of us, it, it may be culture, like we're just constantly fueling the world's culture in our life and by what we're consuming, by what we're, uh, you know, participating in, by what we're doing. So later, watch what happens here. Okay, later on uh, in the story of Micah, he hires on his own priest, and then one day this Levite comes by. Now, Levites in Scripture were one of the tribes of Israel, and their job was to be a priest and, and all this type of stuff. And so this Levite comes by Micah's house. And in Judges chapter 17, and Micah said to him, he said, Stay with me and be a father, or be and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year. And a suit of clothes, and you're living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest. And he was in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, oh, this is, this is the, the big deal right here. Micah says, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. How many times have we tried to use the things of God to justify our own false idols? Well, surely this is a good thing. Well, surely we'll pull out a scripture or see something that we respect, somebody doing something else, and we put the name of God, we bless it, we find a way to ignore what God is saying. And I mean, quite honestly, that's what happens sometimes. What I'm saying is this. So, so Micah's mom comes and facilitates and finances his idol and then Micah took it to a whole nother level, didn't he? He created his own clothing. He created his own priests. He hired a Levite, created his own religion. Here's what I'm saying. Whatever you do, the next generation is going to take it further. If you can barely make it to church, barely get in community, barely get in a small group, guess what's going to happen to your kids? That's not, that's, I know that's a blanket statement. That's a stereotype. I don't want to be too hard, but I'm saying more often than not, okay? But here's also the good news. Whatever you finance, facilitate, and fuel, if you do some of the right things, you're planting seeds that are going to fuel them further. You may not see it now, but you are planting seeds that is going to fuel them further. Because whatever you do, I believe the next generation is going to take it further. You may not see it right now. You may still be believing for it, but it's, it, I just believe it's going to happen. Okay? And so be careful what we finance and facilitate. And so how might you know that there are some false gods in your life? If, if you're wondering, like, well, how would I know if there's false idols in my life, things that are competing with God for my attention? Well, one way is by what you're fueling. You can look at that. But if you haven't figured that out, I want you to see this next thing. And I'm going to help illustrate 
the, the main way that you can know what's happening in your life. So take a look. All right, I don't know how many tree people we have here, but this is a tree in my yard. Some of you may be able to tell like right off like what kind of tree this is. I don't know if that's you or not, but most people probably can't tell what kind of tree it is. You might guess that it's a certain type of tree, but one day here in the next couple months, you'll be able to know exactly what kind of tree it is. Why? Because there's going to be fruit on this tree. There's going to be some peaches on this tree because this is a peach tree. And that's because it's going to one day, bear, one day bear fruit and we're going to be able to see it. Now, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 starts off and says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Why? Because what's happening underneath the surface is one day going to come out and you're going to recognize it. It's like my strawberry plants. You can kind of see what's happening with them. You can kind of see what's going on. They don't look like strawberries yet, but man, one day you're going to see the awesomeness that is strawberries. That's why I planted a whole bunch of strawberry plants because I love strawberries. I love the fruit. And one day I'll be able to see the fruit. One day I'll be able to see all of the stuff that's happened behind the scenes, all the stuff that's been happening, all the fueling of the nutrients, all the fueling and the, the facilitating that's been going on behind the scenes. I'll be able to see it because it'll be made visible. So what is the fruit in your life? That's question number three. What is the fruit? What is the fruit in your family? What is the fruit in your walk with God? What is the fruit of your attitude? What is the fruit of your relationships? See, fruit, it doesn't save us, but fruit sure is a revealer of where things are at. And if we aren't happy with the fruit, or if our fruit doesn't look like we've been honoring God and putting Him above all else, then maybe it's time to go back to the root and see what is it that we've been fueling, financing, and facilitating in our lives. What is the fruit? All right, so what is the fruit? Now, I'm not just talking about the fruit that we present. Because you guys know we do kind of present a front to everybody, right? I mean, we, we do, even if as hard as we try not to, there are times we just put that. I'm talking about the fruit that you know about. I like when it really gets down deep, like when it's just you and God. And even then, we have to sometimes get real honest before God and allow ourselves to get into a place where our pride drops, our defenses drop, and all of that, and we can actually honestly sit with God and hear what God is going to say. Because there is a culture in your life right now. There's a culture in your family right now. There's a culture in your marriage right now. There, and, and that culture has been produced by fruit. Now, Dr. Henry Cloud describes how culture is created. And, and by the way, culture is kind of hard to define, but you know, you have a culture in all these, you have a culture in the business you work at, and, and you may not be able to really define all of what that is, but you know when you walk into a bad culture. Have you ever been into a bad culture before and you just kind of know, this is a bad culture. Sometimes you can sense when you walk into a good culture. Well, Dr. Henry Cloud says it this way. He says, culture is, 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 happens by what you create and what you allow. By what you actively create and what you allow into, that's what determines what, how your culture is. So in a business, for example, the type of things you create in there, the type of attitudes, heart issues, even in a business is the result. That's what culture comes from and what you tolerate. Because have you ever been in a workplace where somebody just tolerates bad behavior or tolerates a bad employee and it creates an, a culture that's dragged down because the leader won't, it just continues to tolerate. And so it's, it's culture is a combination of what we create and allow. 
Now, some of us are really good about creating. Like, just use our family. Some of us are really good at creating an awesome atmosphere in our family, creating even spiritual activity in our family, creating a bunch of momentum of all these things in our family. But we're really bad at what we allow in the gate. So we're great at creating, but we're horrible at the gate. And so then we end up, we create all this stuff, but then we just tolerate all these, so these attitudes begin to creep in. These heart issues begin to creep in because we're great at creating, but we're not great at the gate. And, and so we create a culture that we don't aware, we're not even aware we're creating. Now, others of us are horrible at creating. Like, we're not very good at creating an atmosphere in our life or an atmosphere in our family, but we're great at the gate. And so we're great at what we do not do and what we do and what we don't watch and what we do watch and what we don't read and what we do. And what happens is we create a legalistic culture and we aren't creating any situations for grace and forgiveness and love and, and the things of God to flourish. Really, we, we want both of those things to happen. We want to be great at the gate and then we want to be great at the create. We want to be great at both of those things. And because there is a culture that's going to happen in your life. There's going to be fruit that happens in your life. So if you look at your life, you, you can probably see the fruit of whether you've let other things creep in and take that attention that really belongs to God more often than not. I heard this said a long time ago, but it, somebody once said that if you were to take all the money in the world, take it from every single person, put it in one big pile, and then evenly distribute all the money in the world between every single person equally, Within five years, all of the money would be right back where it started at the beginning. Why? Because those who know how to invest will invest. Those who take risks will take risks. Those who are entrepreneurs will take a chance. Those who save will save. Those who will spend will spend. Those who have a poverty mentality are going to have a poverty mentality. And eventually, all the money will get right back into the hands of those who originally had it. I believe that's true. Because we all have a culture about us. We may not like that we have that culture about us, but until we honestly deal with that culture in us or the fruit that's happening in us or maybe even the false gods that we are fueling and financing in us, the attitudes, the heart issues, we will never change. We will never grow. And God is calling us into this deeper relationship with him. Have you ever played this game with your kids like highs, lows? Like what are your highs of the day and the lows of the day? So has anybody done that? Like where you go and sit down at the table and like what was the best moment of the day and the, the worst moment, just kind of get conversation going. Well, sometimes when you have culture and you create culture, there's actually these highs and lows that come with it. So let me give you an example. If you have a high value for love in your family or love in your relationships, you are going to have low friction. You have a lot, because if you have a high value for love, that means, you know, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean it doesn't deal with sins, but if you have high value love, you're also gonna get high unity between one another. You're gonna get high love for one another because you have this high value of love and certain things begin to follow. If you have a high value of love in your relationships, here's what else will happen. You will have a low offense rate. High value of love, low offense. Because if I love you, I choose to love you even if I disagree. That means I'm not gonna hang on to offenses. Is anybody following me? High value love, low offense. That's what happens in culture. If you have high stress in your life, guess what your low is probably gonna be? I've seen this happen over and over again. Happen in my own life. High stress, low discernment. 
Have you ever noticed this in your life? High stress, high, high stress, low discernment. You go and you make poor decisions. You have poor thought processes. Highs, lows. High stress, low discernment. You have low grace in your life. Guess what's gonna happen? You're probably gonna have a high value for I am what I do. Low grace, high value of checklists in your life. And you're gonna evaluate all those things. And so the, the scripture talks about this in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. You guys have probably heard this scripture before. But it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You have high spirit in your life, you're going to have low flesh in your life. Do you see that there? It's a, it's somebody, do you see that there? I just wanna make sure you're paying attention, okay. High spirit, low flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. You're gonna have high and low of one or the other. For they are opposed to each other to keep you, going, keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you have high spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So if you have high flesh, here's what you're also going to have high in your life. If you notice any of these in your life, it's probably because there's high flesh happening in your life. And it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. We can go on and on and on. Because you have high flesh, these things accompany that. Okay, You're probably walking in the spirit at a lower level than what you should be. It goes on in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? You have high spirit in your life. What are you going to have? You're going to have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're going to have all of these things against such there is no law. So high spirit, love, joy, peace. So again, here, here's the question. What's the fruit in my life? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life? If you do, chances are you have been fueling financing, I guess, if you will, currency, the currency of your attention, the currency of your heart. You have been fueling the Spirit of God, the invitation to the work of the Spirit in your life if, you can, if you're experiencing love, joy, peace, patience. If you're not experiencing those things, chances are you've been fueling in some way the flesh. And it has become a high value whether you like it or whether you don't like it. It has become a high value. So if you have high flesh, you're probably going to have high anger. <laughs> you're going to have high all these other things. Ma married people, if, if you have a high purpose in your marriage, guess what? You're, you're probably going to have less friction in your marriage because you have a purpose together. Married people, if you have a high value to serve one another, guess what you're also going to have? You're probably going to have a low divorce rate. High value to serve, low divorce rate. Single people, if you have a high value that I have to be in a relationship, you're probably going to have a low standard. Highs, lows. If you have a high comfort value, it's quite possible you're going to have a low obedience. So look at your fruit. Look at the fruit of your life. And most likely we can see what we've been financing and fueling. And if, if we don't like it, then maybe we have to go back to the root and see what needs to change. Romans chapter eight, verse five uh, through eight says this. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their, minds on their, uh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. High value flesh, 
It ends in death. Fruit is death. Where are our high values? I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we get ready to close. Let me finish out reading this as they do. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. High value for the spirit, guess what you're going to have? Life and peace. What is the fruit? Where's your fruit? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. So if you have a high value for the flesh or if you've been fueling the flesh, guess what? When God comes to speak to you, you're going to be resistant to it. You're gonna be hostile to God. Even as a believer, you're gonna be hostile to the things of God if you've been fueling the flesh in your life. All right, but it says, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's my question to kind of wrap up. I know this is kind of a difficult topic and I said there was gonna be some conviction. So um, there's a fine line between conviction and offense, by the way. Have you ever been offended by the word of God, right? (laughs) Sometimes we can be. But really what the Holy Spirit wants to do is invite us into conviction so that we can go further and so we can grow closer to God. So here's my question. It's kind of a bonus question that that I want you to wrestle with. Are my high values his values? And again, this is where we're gonna have to really get with God. We're gonna have to get honestly with God. Are my high values his values? You might just... Even though right where you're at, just bow your head and close your eyes if you would and just give the Holy Spirit just a moment. And you can ask that question, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me honestly, what are my high values? Are my high values accumulation, accumulating things, comfort, so that my obedience is low or my high values, what are my high values in my marriage? What are my high values in my family? What am I financing, facilitating, and fueling? Do I have a life that's become God plus or plus God? And if we don't like the culture of our house or marriage or relationships or attitude, then maybe it's time to go back and look at those things. What am I creating? What am I allowing? What am I What am I going to as my savior? Are my high values his values? All right, now I'm going to ask everyone if you guys would just stand up with me. I'm going to read you one more verse. Because here's what I do know. No matter where you're at, God brings us truth not to leave us in some sort of discouragement, but to lift up our head, to lift up our eyes. And no matter where you're at, no matter what conviction you might feel right now or whatever you might be wrestling with, Romans chapter 8, 31 through 32 says, what then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That God is not mad at you. (laughs) You need to understand that. God is not mad at you, no matter what the fruit looks like right now even. No matter what's happening, God's not mad at you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's lifting up your head right now. 
And sometimes we have to look at things honestly and truthfully because there are some, some things in our life that we have to deal with. There are some things, as I said, that this might be a year of loss where things have to leave our life and we have to get honest before God about what those things are. So we have to have some moments that are serious before God. But even in all of those moments, God is not mad at you. He loves you. He's for you. He's lifting up your head. He's cheering you on. And in fact, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not now? He gives us graciously all things. He wants to give us an opportunity to go closer even than what we are when we walked into this room today. He's, he's not pushing us away. He's drawing us closer. He's drawing us closer right now. And sometimes we have conviction that draws us closer, but God's not mad at you. Pastor Aaron and Sarah are getting ready to go on a sabbatical tomorrow, really. And uh, he was asking me earlier this week, he said, when you went on your sabbatical three years ago, did you like, like aggressively, like I've got to have a word from God or I've got to have an encounter with God and, and all that type of stuff. And I kind of told him a little bit more of my story, but I, I said, I cannot force a, a, an encounter with God. I can't force an encounter with God. As much as you want to have an encounter with God, you cannot force an encounter with God. But what I did do and what I do is I can put myself in a position to have an encounter with God. I can put myself in a position, in, a, in an atmosphere to have an encounter with God. And so that's what I did on my sabbatical. I just put myself in an opportunity. And that's what moments like this are. They are opportunities for us to have an encounter with God. But we have to be willing to open up and have the encounter. So God, right now we put ourselves in a place that we want to say we want to have an encounter with you. Would you write our hearts if there's anything that's crept into our heart that's trying to grow alongside your, your place in our life? Lord, cut it at the root in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, reveal that to us right now. Cut it at the root. We want you not just to be our something, but we want you to be our everything. That it is in you we live, we move, and have our being. And we are so thankful right now that even though we, truth sometimes is hard to hear, Lord, we thank you for your grace that enables us and empowers us to be able to live out your truth that draws us closer to you. I pray for every heart here today. Listen, there are some hard hearts possibly here today. I pray right now for any hard heart that would be softened by the love of Jesus right now, drawing you closer right now. Soften hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Root things out of our lives right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want you to be our everything, our only thing, so that from you flows everything else. And we declare that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship one more time.